Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to the Free to Be Show. This is the end of my series on motherhood, and tonight um, we will be discussing living in your purpose as a mother. And I'm really excited to share these two women with you who I've recently met, and um, they are definitely the epitome of mothers who live in their purpose. So we'll, re we'll be right back after this. To the Free to Be Show. I am the world's best joy mother. Yes, I made that word up. I'm here holding space for you to reveal your joy. I'm also the host of two podcasts, the author of eight books, and the mother of six children. Here on the Free to Be Show, this is your time to see in your mind and your heart whether or not you are truly free. So are you free? Let's see. So welcome back. And I am going to first introduce um, Edie Weinstein. Weinstein. Um, she is a creative journalist, interviewer, licensed social worker, psychotherapist, interface minister, speaker, and author of The Bliss Mistress Guide to Transforming the Ordinary into the Extraordinary. And a mother and I believe a grandmother. Welcome to yep. the show. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I don't usually like comparing, but when I heard your bio, I felt like a slacker. When, <laughs> when people hear mine, they think, you know, I do more in a day than they do in a week. But look at you, eight books, six kids, two podcasts. <laughs> when do you sleep, woman? <laughs> well, a lot of today I did. <laughs> Good. Actually. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Welcome. And also, I'd like to um, introduce Vanessa R. Brooks. Um, she's a native of North Carolina, and she's a wife, mother, grandmother, and spiritual mentor to many. She is a professional counselor, entrepreneur, and the owner of Brooks Consulting and Training Solutions, LLC. And you'll find out so much more. Welcome to the show, Vanessa. Hello, and thank you. You're very welcome. So, you know, I was so excited to meet you on um, Abundantly You with um, Harriet a couple of, was it a month ago? I think it was exactly a month ago. Yeah. And what I thought was striking about both of you is that definitely you're women who are living in your purpose. And so in the order that I introduce you, when did you discover what your purpose is? Oh, my goodness. Well, when I was six months old, my mother said I started talking and I haven't stopped since. So I see myself as a communicator, both verbally and in writing. And I'm discovering my purpose as we go along. I, you know, I, um, I don't see it as having any limits. So every time I meet new people, every time something happens in the world, my purpose expands. So kind of, a, you know, I'm 63 years old. I don't think I'll ever know for sure what my entire purpose is, but I'm willing to find out. <laughs> I love that. Thank and you. I love that you're still open to expanding your purpose. A lot mm -hmm. of people think that they find it and that's it. Yeah. And, and you know that there's more. Mm-hmm. And what about you, Vanessa? Kind of similar in that my mama said. <laughs> when I was two, I was born two months premature. So I've always been a disruptor, right? I've always, I've always broken the rules. But she said when I was two years old, I kind of looked at my daddy and shook my fist at him and said, hey, you got to get a job and help my mama out. So... <laughs> I gather from that that I, I kind of came into this world to uh, irritate people. No, I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> though, I don't really, I don't really know. I thought my purpose was to, was to be a preacher for so many years, um, 
So I'm kind of, I'm kind of like my sister here. I'm, I'm evolving and I really don't know if I have a purpose other than to just get up every single day and be the best version of, of version of myself possible. Mm -hmm. um, and to just be as authentic, as loving and powerful and, and um, kind as I can be every single day. I live in my truth and I want to inspire other people to do the same thing, whatever that might be or whatever that might look like. So I don't know what you call that. I don't know if there's a name for my purpose yet. I may have to invent the name. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I feel like you both have exactly said what it is, right? So, um, and in, in your case, Vanessa, I, I guess awaken people's souls, right? Um, because maybe your, your dad needed you to be born to understand what he's here for, you know? And I, I think that's beautiful because once you found um, that you weren't meant to be a minister or a preacher and you went into your spiritual counseling, you know, then you really allowed yourself to be free to do that, um, to awaken people's souls. Am I wrong? <laughs> no, I, I think it's, I think you're right. I, I'm just, I'm learning to not, tie myself into a label or a title as, mm -hmm. as much as I possibly can because I came from that world. Yeah. When you I don't want to get into my into my spiritual journey a whole lot, but I come from a world where you are forced to know what your purpose is, honey child. Oh, You're know, forced to have to know what it is. So I'm just learning to just be gentle with myself and say, I don't know. I don't have to call it something. Again, my purpose is just to be authentic and to be the voice, the mouthpiece of what authenticity looks like. But if you want to call that awakening people's souls, I'm fine with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I felt that way when I met you. Um, <laughs> and, and for you, Edie, um, again, like, I love the creativity that you both bring to the energy of this. And although this is the free to be show and not the unlearning labels, they must meet at some points. Mm -hmm. Right. And I, the, the idea that your purpose has a label, let's, let's look at that a little bit. Tell, tell me mm -hmm. more when you think about that. Sure. Um, well, I've been creative, for as long as I can remember. I used to like telling stories when I was a kid. I used to like writing um, when I was very young. When I was in sixth grade, I had a wonderful teacher, Richard Surfling, who encouraged my writing. And to this day, I tell him that, that you know, whenever I get a chance to let him know that he was one of the reasons. Um, I also credit my parents because when I was little, they, you know, my mother would take me to the library, my sister, um, for story hour. And I'd sit there on the floor looking up at what I called the library lady, because I couldn't say library. And after story hour, you know, my mother said, you know, take home, I don't know, I took home like four or five books at a time and read them, brought them back the next week. So I was always toting a book around like, like it was a teddy bear. So my parents encouraged learning. And um, they, you know, I, I basically learned that the sky was the limit. They told me growing up that whatever you can do to support yourself and that you like, that's the career you go for. They didn't have any particular goals. And when I was growing up in the 60s and 70s, women were either teachers, nurses, secretaries. My mother was a switchboard operator. It never occurred to me to be a therapist or a social worker until I was in high school. And I have a bachelor's degree in psychology and then an MSW, Master of Social Work, but I call it Master of Saving the World. Yeah. So that that purpose was al always there to do what I could, um, which didn't always work in my favor. I became a, a codependent. Um, I definitely am in recovery. So I don't know if either of you can relate to that. You know, um, people pleaser, emotional contortionist who would bend over backwards to please people practicing savior behavior, you know, that kind of thing. So I need to meet, yep, you know, yep. So I need to maintain those boundaries. And I find creative ways to do that. I've learned to be diplomatic. Um, you know, if I'm giving somebody information that they really don't want to hear, I try to put myself in their position. What would I want to hear if I was doing what somebody else was doing that could have been a problem for someone? 
So creativity spills into every area of my life. Um, if you were to look around the room that I'm in now, I've got, I don't know, you can't see it this wrong way, but I've got a colorful tapestry here. I've got an Om sign. I've got some Buddhas. Um, I've got a dancing Shiva. Um, I've got, you know, my garden outside here. My house is, is got Tibetan prayer flags over there, like all different kinds of spiritual icons. So I'm surrounded with color. And that to me infuses, you know, infuses me with creativity. If I'm, I'm drenched in color everywhere, every room in my house. That's a good point, you know, to create, to literally create your environment mm -hmm. so that you can, um, you can create your, your day every day in your life, mm -hmm. the way you yeah. desire. I, I heard, I saw, I heard, look, I heard you shaking your head over there, Vanessa. So <laughs> Yeah, um, the first time I heard that I was a codependent person was through my therapist after I left the church. Mm. I tried so hard in the session because I, I, I never saw myself in that way. You know, we, we try to see ourselves in such a perfect way. Um, but yeah, I was a pastor for 14, for 15 years. And I was a social worker as well. Um, so I've always been in the helping professional uh, in the helping profession my entire life. Um, I, I worked for the social services um, agency and then I was a pastor. So that's all I know. And I did it for so long. Um, the codependency uh, piece, I, I operated in that in that space for so long that it became normal. Mm. Uh, and I didn't know that it was a problem. I knew that my relationships were dysfunctional. I knew that my relationships were toxic. I knew that they rarely ever worked, but I, I couldn't understand why. Hmm. Um, when you become a pastor with my mindset, who already had daddy issues, who already had self-esteem issues, and then you turn around and you, and you become a pastor, a caregiver, and you haven't dealt with your own vacancies and your own deficiencies and your own voids, um, you, you do become Jesus to people. Um, so as a pastor, I might get in trouble, but you already know that by now, right? No one gets in trouble on the Free to Be show. That's the okay. whole point. <laughs> so even though I thought I was leading people to Jesus of Nazareth, I found out that I was leading them to the Jesus that I was for them. Mm -hmm. I was, I was their savior. I was their God. And so I created a life where I got totally lost in my identity and my authenticity. So that's why for me, it's really important that I don't latch on to any particular label because in therapy, I'm, I'm having to break free of that. Um, because I really am trying to find myself at the age of 52. I'm on a hunt to find me. And I know we're going to talk about at some point mothering. Um, but I've even had to have that kind of conversation with my children where I've had to apologize. Um, I think I was a decent mother, but my children did not always come first. Mm -hmm. My church did. Pastoring those people did taking care of my clients as a social worker did. My kids were always provided for. They always had a roof over their heads. They, were all, they always had food to eat, but I was not always emotionally available for them because mm. I was so emotionally bankrupt yeah. <laughs> because I overspent my emotional currency with everybody else, trying to keep everybody else satisfied and happy. Y'all have no idea. I walked around solving everybody else's problems mm -hmm. and neglected my own and neglected providing the care and nurture to the, to the level that I would have liked to now that I'm more aware with my own children. So anyway, that's a very long answer to a short question. <laughs> no, that, that is a very accurate answer. And did you want to say something? Yeah, I was going to say that probably every mother I know thinks you know, they're on the opposite ends of the spectrum. They're either um, the worst mother in the world or they think they should be mother of the year. And <laughs> um, 
my son would probably tell you that there are times that, that I fit into both categories, but he's 35. He's happily married. He's got two beautiful children. So I have a two and a half year old grandson and a little more than three week old granddaughter. So, um, part of my purpose is to help create a better world for those kiddos, not just mine, but yours and, and their, you know, their children and so on and so on. So that's part of my, my codependency, my savior behavior, that I'm just delusional enough to think that I can fix, you know, fix all the broken problems in the world. <laughs> you know? So let's talk about that. You know, yeah. I love that you brought up codependency because actually last year I did a two part series. It was like, um, I guess kind of like a um, an event for um, quarterly event about codependency, unlearning codependency, and um, Harriet was part of that because one thing that people don't realize, and you guys both brought this up, is that a lot of the codependency happens in places of worship, and they happen. You know, um, those are supposed to be like bedrocks of society, right? That's where we go to get served and fed and it turns out they're some of the most toxic places in the world and um even the pastors and the imams you know i don't know about the rabbis but you know like i'm pretty sure the rabbis too are struggling you know yeah. and and they're the ones who suffer the most and um it's it's almost like it trickles down, right? Because you go someplace to get filled up and then you bring home the toxicity from that place and you spread it in your family, whether it's because you're the pastor and you don't have anything left for your family <laughs> or, or you've been infected by whatever, you know, um, toxicity is being shared mm -hmm. as the way we're supposed to live. So um, I'm glad you brought that up. Before I ask my next question, I just want to recognize some of the people who are here. Edie, this looks like one of Verna. yours. Verna. Verna, Verna is a dear friend. We've known each other lots of years. Welcome, Verna. Thank you for being here. And Wanda, greetings. And Linda. And Linda, hi. <laughs> She's another, another friend. And Wanda, she really loves what Vanessa said and clarified this because I struggled with that situation of labeling my purpose. Mm. And she's also saying, uh, Cordelia, you have so many powerful people on your show to fill my inner struggles. These wonderful shows are healing to the soul. Oh, wow. more, more stuff for Vanessa. <laughs> Miss Vanessa speak that says, because we're always a hundred percent for everyone else, else and nothing for ourselves. Yeah. That's, that's true. So let's talk a little bit more about that. Codependency struggles. Yeah. Yep. I call it being all gived out. Um, <laughs> now, unlike a lot of people who develop codependency, I came from a wonderful loving family where I was told you could be anybody, you, you know, anything you want to be. Um, I grew up on the, um, the Marlo Thomas free to be you and me TV show. I don't know if you're familiar with that. If I am. That's where this name comes from. <laughs> Yep. Um, so, um, you know, I wasn't told you're not good enough. I, you know, if anything, I, I might have been praised too much and, and not directed enough. But um, years ago, when I worked in a nursing home, the chaplain asked me, how did you get like this? And I said, what do you mean like this? She said, so codependent, because I had already told her my about my childhood. Well, where it came from was that my grandmother um, died when I was four and she was like a third parent. She lived, we all lived together and she helped my, you know, my parents with, you know, with me and with my, my younger sister. And when she died, everything shifted in our family. I have no re conscious recollection of her funeral. I have no conscious recollection of how my mother handled this because it was never a time when she and my mother didn't live together. Mm -hmm. So in instinctively or intuitively, I knew my mom was struggling at four years old and I wanted to do everything I could to make life easier for her. So she didn't have to, you know, didn't have to worry about me. So I became, you know, the consummate 
little caregiver and the goody two shoes and, and the high achiever. And I thought, you know, who wouldn't, you know, I, I, I call myself little Shirley Temple da tap dancing for approval. And everybody, I wanted to be everybody's sweetheart. So um, those things kind of lay dormant until I started noticing those patterns in my relationships where we were talking about toxic relationships or dysfunctional relationships. I was always the caregiver emotionally. Um, I was always the, I thought at least the strong one. And it was in 1993 um, that another dear friend that, that Linda knows, um, Yvonne Kay, who became my mentor, um, kicked my butt into recovery. I went into a five and a half day inpatient um, codependency program at a hospital named Living Treatment Center named Livingren. They, they no longer have the program, but that's where I learned the language of codependency. That's where I learned that I didn't have to, you know, take care of everybody to be loved and to set boundaries. So right after that, I went to um, Codependence Anonymous. So if you want to look it up, it's coda.org. And wow. it's a 12 step program for people who are addicted to people pleasing, you know, and not knowing where their boundaries are. So I went to the meetings for six years and there was a young man there who kept asking me if I could be his sponsor. And I kept saying no for three reasons. One is that you need a man to be your sponsor. The second is that even though I'm a therapist, I'm way too new in recovery to be anybody's sponsor. And the third was that my husband was very ill at the time. So he kept asking. I kept saying no, but obviously I wasn't convincing enough. So literally the day my husband died, I came home from the hospital and I answered the phone. And that's when I had a, you know, a landline wall phone in the kitchen. And it was this kid. And he was like 22 or 23, something like that. So that's why I called him a kid. And he asked me, he asked to talk to me. And I said, you have a phone list. Please call somebody else. Not only can I not be your sponsor, I can't even talk to you right now. My husband just died. Click, hung up the phone. And I was ecstatic. Um, hard to imagine that after being, you know, being in grief, that I said no to somebody and lightning didn't come crashing down and the floor didn't swallow me up. And that was kind of the beginning of the end of my attending CODA meetings, because I felt like in some ways I had, I graduated. So I still work the program. I, I just don't go to meetings. I still do, a, you know, all of that every day. I take my own inventory and I ask myself, am I doing this because I want to and I can or because I feel an obligation? And people will be mad at me if I say no. <laughs> mm, so good. Yeah. Vanessa, tell me your um, recovery process with codependency. I don't know that I've recovered yet. <laughs> okay. I love the way the conversation has shifted though, right? Because, and, and has it shifted really? Maybe this was the purpose of our conversation. It has shifted mm -hmm. a lot. <laughs> <laughs> For me, um, my 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 story is not as is not as the way that it started for me is a little bit more. Um, I don't know. I shouldn't say more, but so for me, it, it came from deficiencies in um, my attachment relationships with my with my parents. My mother was a wonderful woman, but I I told you when I was two, I had to get my daddy straight, right? So. <laughs> My daddy was not emotionally available to me, um, which because of his deficiency, it caused my mom to not be emotionally available because she had to do the work of a mama and a daddy. She yeah. had to work two jobs because my daddy didn't quite understand that he was supposed to work and help her. So as a result, then I ended up, and I, I don't know that anybody ever said this to me, but I just... I just decided that I needed to become what I did not, what I didn't feel like was receiving. So I watched my mama do it though. I watched my mother overextend in the church. I watched her neglect herself. And in some cases even neglect her children emotionally because she kept trying to be everybody else's whatever they needed. People in the church would call her mama you know, um, so I watched her feed everybody else and take care of everybody else. So I kind of took that energy on in my mind unconsciously. I decided, OK, if I take care of everybody, I'll be loved. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll yeah. be loved and I'll yep. be needed and I'll be accepted. Mm -hmm. And I think 
to be honest, I think that's how it ended up in the helping professions in terms of the work that I did professionally, becoming a pastor, you know, I think unconsciously I was still saying, okay, I'm going to become that so that people can love me and need me. And I just, boundary, what's a boundary? I didn't have any. But what I found over and over again was that these people, and I, and I don't blame them, but these people, it was very easy for them to turn around and hurt me, um, to walk away, to end the relationship without even telling me why. And it's because their purpose had been served, fulfilled. They came yeah. and got what they needed from me, but I didn't, I didn't realize that we were in that relationship in a one-sided capacity. I mm. didn't realize that. I thought what I was doing was normal. So I was running around paying people's bills. <laughs> yeah, the outside the validation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, giving people our cars, just doing crazy stuff. Um, and then if you add a pastor onto that equation, where you already feel like you're supposed to right. do these things. I got lost in that. So I don't even know that I'm recovered yet because even though I'm, I'm out of the church and I finally left that environment, even in the spiritual communities that I'm a part of, people still see that, that energy on me. Yeah. They still see that I think she can help me. So, it, you know, and so for me to try to explain to people, hey, I run a business. So what you're asking me for is what I do for a living. <laughs> mm -hmm. And people get offended at that and they feel bothered by that. And they think I should help them for free. And there are days that I, that I say to myself, OK, I'm going to help them for free. I'll just have a class for free or I'll just go on Facebook Live and I'll just talk about the very thing that they really should be paying me for. So I, that's why I say I'm still kind of in recovery mode. Mm -hmm. Still a part of me that feels like if I tell this person no, I did good because I just had to respond to someone who wanted me on their show. They're, they wanted to interview me, but I didn't feel in alignment to the to the to the interviewer. Mm -hmm. And I yeah. today I found the strength to email them back and say, because everybody wants to talk to me now because of life after church on TikTok, mm -hmm. I'm blowing up mm -hmm. over there. And my story is intriguing. A black woman who left Christianity from the South, that ain't supposed to happen. <laughs> and she surely is not supposed to be talking about it. Wait a minute, and she was a pastor on top of that? Yeah. So everybody in America <clears throat> wants to talk to Vanessa right now, and I can't energetically afford to do it. And so telling some of these people no it may seem trivial or small to some people, but for me, this is huge. Just say, no, I can't, I can't do it. Yeah. it I, I say congratulations. I celebrate you for that. And I think yeah. that, you know, like for a perspective shift in this, this is serving your purpose of wanting to serve people. You love to serve people. So it's not that you're doing it for free you're doing it for the love of doing it, right? And the great thing about the energetic circle of reciprocity is when you do things from love, it comes back to you, you know, in kind. And in kind, in your case, is your, your business actually has been um, booming, right? So um, some people, they don't know that they're not ready to hire you. And it's, and so they're at an energetic deficit right now. They're still living in a world of scarcity and that doesn't stop you from giving to them, you know? And, and here's the thing you must understand, the people that receive from your love when you serve in that way, they are only going to receive as much as they're ready to receive. So they're not actually getting the same as people who invest with you you see because they're they're already no 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 you feel see here's the thing we give we're not responsible for how it lands right so people they'll receive through the filter of what they're capable of receiving even though you're giving some, some like of those, 
but then I have to hear no though. So oh no, 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 no. I have yeah. to say yeah. I I can't give you anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just because of where I came from. Mm-hmm. There there are going to be times and there has been times and there must be times for my own healing where I can't give you anything, not even mm-hmm. not, not even a little bit. But that's for me. And that has nothing to do with that other person. Mm-hmm. That has mm-hmm. like my therapist talks to me about Vanessa. That has to do with you loving yourself first. Mm-hmm. I got to love myself enough to say no interviews this week. No free conversation this week. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry if that offends you, but it makes me feel great. It gives me yeah. time to do something that I want to do. So I, I hear what you're saying, and I understand giving, and I understand it probably more than most people because I gave forever for, for my, of my time. But giving also means, for me at least, that I got to give to myself first right now. Mm-hmm. Right. Give to me first, because if I don't give to myself first, then I have nothing else to give anybody else because I'm healing from years as a Christian, y'all, at least the Christian communities that I was a part of, you come last. You see, you have to lay your life down for the people. You don't know how many times I've heard that throughout my Christian journey, how many times I've preached that and taught that. So that's what I became. So for me, there's going to have to be times I can't give you anything because I got to take care of Vanessa first. Right. I found out as a codependent person, and my sister may be able to attest to this, and I don't know that people mean to do this, but they will take and take and take and take from you until you're almost dead. So there's almost nothing left of you. And we have to, <clears throat> we have to teach people how to love us. Right, well, we do teach people how to, how to treat us. I mean, all of us do. What you were talking about, um, is a choice. You know, if I have, if I know I have the choice to say yes or no, then I'm teaching people that they have the choice to say yes or no. And, um, I, you know, you see, you hear people say, um, I have a lot of musician friends and they'll talk about how different venues like bars and restaurants that want to bring them in won't pay them, but they'll say, well, this is good exposure for you. And you can always sell merch afterwards. And what I, what I tell them is, you know what you need to say to the restaurant owner or the bar owner, you know what, how about if I invite a whole bunch of my friends over to sample your food and you're not going to charge them. It's just great exposure for your restaurant. And if they like it, they'll come back and they'll tell people about it. And you know that restaurant owners would never do that. And then you hear people say, well, you know, you're a therapist, you're a healer, you're a preacher, you're a, you know, whatever somebody is. It's a gift from God. How can you charge for it? I said, you know what? Doctors, mechanics, teachers, they all have a gift from God if, if, you know, you believe in a you know, whoever, whatever around you. And I have the same bills to pay. You don't think my utility company says, we're not going to charge you because you do this wonderful work in the world. Of course not. So we have to re-educate ourselves and then re-educate other people. Um, I have a friend who, um, Ruth Ann Wood is her name, and she um, posed this question, like if everything that you've given away for free, you got paid for, how much money do you think you would have right now? And for most of us, we'd be gazillionaires, right? When you think about all the free time, now it doesn't mean I don't volunteer. I volunteer a lot. And if people, you know, say, can I pick your brain? I'll say, well, I've got 15, 20 minutes and then I got to skedaddle onto the next thing that I'm doing. And if they want to go further, uh, you know, my friends know that I'm available to them. So that's, I don't charge friends for for picking my brain. But if it's somebody that says, well, you know, this person told me that you do this work and I'll say, yeah, you know, I can give you a, you know, a sample session. And then if you want to continue, here's what my fee is. So there is nothing, not only nothing wrong with that, there's a lot right with it because we're teaching people how, you know, how to depend on themselves and not depend on us to solve their problems for them. You know, we're here to be guides and teachers and we are, I think we are all works in progress, whether we're, we're parenting or we're, you know, we're counseling or we're, we're doing our, our clergy work in the world. You know, we're, you know, we don't help anybody by enabling them not to stand up within themselves. 
And we got to do that first. We got to stand up within ourselves for them to learn how to do it. Yeah. So like what I'm hearing you say is, is that we must be the reflection for them so they'll mm-hmm. know how to behave with themselves. Let's yeah. take a, a real short break and then we'll come back and we'll touch on mothering. Are you owning the true leader you are? Staying in the continuous flow of curiosity, presence, gratitude, and joy. Opening the door to the energetic flow of reciprocity and guess the benefits. Financial opportunities, gifts, compassion, gratitude, love, joy, a healthy body, mind, and soul, and abundance. Are you ready to create create better in 2023? Great! Beginning on July 7th, I'm starting the Joy and Presence group. This is only for serious women who desire to create and live into a better future, a world filled with everything you've ever imagined and so much more. Sign up for your Joy to Connect session and create a better 2023. And we're back. So yeah. we, Those are beautiful images of you. Who's that? Who's that dancing person with the the wild woman? That movement? is that is my alter ego. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's you without. I know. <laughs> I was thinking, is that one of your daughters? You, you know, you know oh she does kind of look like one of my daughters. No, yeah. that's not me. That that's not anyone I know. Actually, oh, that's a stock okay. video, but. <laughs> But I did choose her because she is my alter ego. I do dance like that. <laughs> so. Excellent. So, yeah, we, we touched on this a little bit earlier. But um, so in the end, right, with the choices that we've made or with the choices you've made in your lives, um, how do you feel it's affected the way you showed up as a mother Vanessa. My kids say that I was a great mom. Um, I think I think I was an okay mom. But again, um, if I could turn back the hands of time and do things differently, obviously I would. Um, I feel like my children are doing okay, but I also feel like there were conversations that I missed out on because of my religious beliefs. I feel like there were opportunities that my children um, possibly possibly didn't have because of my religious beliefs. I feel like there's um, a level of bonding that my children and I didn't have because of my religion. So I, and I know people, you know, people always tell me not to, not to be regretful, but, that's that human part of us. Um, I regret it. You know, I regret that I chose Jesus over my children. I regret that I chose my faith over my children. I regret that I tried to teach some of those values to my children. What I do love and appreciate <laughs> is my children's ability to rebel against me about some of that stuff. <laughs> See, it all worked out. Mm-hmm. They, and so there's your opening for self-forgiveness. Yeah, they, they <laughs> have to forgive because they did not latch on to religion the way that I did because they saw what it was doing to their mama. And they was like, hell no. I'm that. <laughs> so they, they're, they're making it easier for me to forgive myself because, because they, they are not holding me liable for any of it. So in that regard, um, it's it's easier for me to forgive myself. But I, I'm gonna be honest. I, I am having to do some self forgiveness work in the area of um, parenting. Um, I just don't feel like I was as emotionally um, present for my children as I wish I could have been. I don't feel like I was a, present enough in their decision making as it as it pertains to who they would become as adults. They found their way, and I'm grateful for that. But I, I do regret that I was not as present with my children as I would have liked to have been. But I'm making up for that now. 
And 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 may I just offer something to you? Sure, sure. You were meant to be the mother you were, so your kids could be who they are. Yeah. And there's nothing to be made up except for you to stop judging yourself. <laughs> yeah. Easier said than done some days. I know, I know. I'm just, you know, yeah. offering that to consider. <laughs> that's, that's the gift too, is is help having our kids know that we wish we could have some do-overs. There's certainly things that I wish I had done differently. I was a single parent from the time my son was 11. Um, you know, he came into our lives when he was five. We adopted him when he was when he was almost five. And um, for those six years in between, my husband was ill. And um, when he died, I, you know, I, I totally disavow the idea that you can be both mother and father when you're a single parent. Um, I didn't know how to be a father. So what I did was that I tapped into um, my, my team of, of platonic friends, platonic male friends to be my son's mentors. And, um, you know, one of them was his action movie buddy. One of them um, helped him build things. Um, another one, you know, dear friend Phil became his unofficial big brother and then a surrogate father. And um, Phil had been ill for a lot of years as well. And he was going to walk Adam down the aisle with me when he got married in 2017. But he died a week prior. He had a cardiac condition. So Phil's wife, Janet, and I walked Adam down the aisle. But he's very present still in our lives. Um, my grandson's name is Dean Michael, was my husband's name, Philip. So Dean Michael Philip Moser. And um, he... We, you know, I say that we survived his adolescence barely. We butted heads a fair amount. I'm his weird hippie mom. And, you know, I, I think I embarrass him even now. And when he was 14, he says, Mom, I'm an undercover angel sent to teach you patience. And I said, I thought you don't believe in angels. He says, yeah, but you do. Um, so I figured out that I'm, you know, I'm a lifelong learner because he's still teaching and, and the roles have reversed. Um, as I'm getting older, he's checking up on me. You know, are you doing okay? Cause I've got COPD. Um, so I have difficulty breathing sometimes. Are you okay? You're, you know, you're huffing and puffing while you're pushing the baby stroller. And I said, honey, I need to push the stroller for support for me. <laughs> you know? um, so I remember the role reversal when my parents got older, you know, that I took care of them. Now, I am not ready for him to take care of me the way I took care of my parents. They were in their eighties. So um, the people that know us think I did a, you know, a pretty decent job and I'm very proud of the man that he's become and the husband he's become and, and the father that he's become. So we're still on the journey together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm hearing, you know, that in your hippie momminess, <laughs> you left, you know, the door swinging and, mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, you know, you, um, you feel at peace with that, you mm -hmm. know, I, I feel like, just like you said, our, our children are our teachers, you know, mm -hmm. um, I, I look at you two and I'm thinking, look at that. They're smart because they only needed one kid. Mm -hmm. I needed six. <laughs> I, got I got two kids. Two. Okay. Well, you only needed two. <laughs> I needed six. <laughs> Think about it. <laughs> like the first one wasn't enough. I had to keep learning. No, I'm really grateful for, for each one of my children too. And, and I definitely feel like, um, I, I, I think I'm a blend of both of you too. Like when it comes to motherhood, cause I'm just mm -hmm. like, man, I could have been, you know, more present. I could have been more emotionally available. And my kids think I'm great, you mm -hmm. know? And, um, and so with their reflection, I, I choose to just forgive myself and be present in now and, and take opportunities for the do-overs. Thank you, Zafira, for being here. That's beautiful, the mother journey. Yeah. So now, interesting fun fact about her, she's nine children. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, goodness. Bless, yeah. bless you, bless you. Yeah. <laughs> Now, my grandmother, the one that, that died when I was four, was one of 13 children. And I asked my mother, how the heck did they do that? She says, well, the older kids took care of the younger kids. I said, no, how could they afford 13 children? We're talking about, the, you know, not even the 1920s. So 
in the late 1800s, early 1900s, because my great grandfather owned a corner store, candy store. Mm. So I, I guess they sold a lot of candy. <laughs> oh no. Clearly. <laughs> yeah. But 13 children. Yeesh. Wow. Yeah. 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 So I, I love the direction that our conversation's gone in. I really think that our whole conversation was all about purpose and, you know, and the peaks and valleys of the journey of motherhood in that, you know, and even the purpose in becoming a mother while you're finding yourself and understanding what it is that you believe, what is your faith. And navigating um, that whole spiritual world, you know, how would you say your life is different from when you were an actual pastor to what you've selected to do now? And then that same question for you, Edie, when, sure. yeah, go ahead, Vanessa. Uh, um, the first word that comes to mind for me is just, I'm alive. And, and and I know that sounds crazy, but I'm present. Like I did not realize how absent I was in my body, how absent I was in my in my awareness, how detached I was from reality. So today I am aware and I'm alive and I have clarity. I feel connected. Um, I enjoy the relationships and the friendship that I'm making today. They're not based upon um, my compulsion with, with needing to be loved by people, um, that I can have pure, wholesome relationships with my children and with my friends, with my husband. Um, Y'all, the sex is better too. Oh, that might be my information. Uh <laughs> But, but that makes sense, right? Yeah. You, when you when you're a religious fanatic like me, your sex ain't good, y'all. So, <laughs> so you're, I'm gonna end it by saying the sex is just good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, it's interesting. This is a perfect segue. Um, one of the thing, one of the other hats that I wear is that I'm a PR and marketing person. And I'm doing um, outreach for a film called Angels and Saints, Eros and Awe. And it's about the intersection of sexuality and spirituality. And the idea that we're taught sex is bad, sex is sin. Um, we know, so there are people that have been, and I know this ties in with some of your work, Vanessa, people that have been deeply wounded by traditional religion. And, um, there are, and then there have been people who've been deeply wounded around sex. So... Um, I'm, I'm the, the more, I didn't create the film. I just, I'm just doing the outreach for it. And, um, I would never have done that years ago. Um, not because I have anything, there's nothing wrong with sex. I love sex, but, um, being just able checking. to be, what's that? You second, you second that too. Um, you know, about being a spokesperson, uh, for a film and, um, I, you know, the way that I'm different now is that I almost don't care what other people think. I'm much more transparent. I'm much, I call it peeling off the layers to reveal the real. I'm less worried about what people think. Certainly I, you know, I'm still enough of a good girl to follow the rules and not, you know, not break any legal rules, but it's up to me to decide what's within my value system. So the other thing that I do is I, you know, I'm an outspoken activist and advocate for LGBTQ rights, for, um, you know, Black Lives Matter, for, um, you know, children's right to be safe in the world, children's right to be loved and, you know, and cared for. So I write about that. I, you know, I show up at, at rallies and vigils and it just feels like something I can do to make a difference. And I want it to be so for my children, my, you know, my child, my grandchildren, your children, your grandchildren, and we all, we all do what we can with the tools that we've been given. Yeah. I love that. Thank you. Thank you. And Carlos agrees. And yes, anyone absolutely. Know? <laughs> and yeah, that, that is a whole nother show. You know, 
you bring it up at the end. This was a good part, right? Because I, I believe that, you know, mm -hmm. our sexuality is the other side of our spirituality and there's right. no way to yeah. really separate the two. Okay. But that's well, what I'll be talking about in my next show for real okay. though. Well, so. I have, I have potential guests for you and I'll send you information. You okay. know, the, the filmmakers that would be, are, they're wonderful interview subjects. Okay. Um, so I'll send you the information. Yeah, I would love that. Yeah. My next, uh, my next uh, show actually is per pursuing marriage in detachment um, with the spiritual relationship coach. So that's how I'm ending the season talking about love and detachment, but we'll definitely, we'll definitely talk about sex. I'll, Cause yeah, I'll send you, I'll send you information. That's what's up in marriage. Right. So um, this has really been such a beautiful <laughs> exchange and conversation. Thank you ladies for coming Mm -hmm. I wish we could do like a part two and it will just be all about sex, but Sounds I'm going to end the season. <laughs> it, we'll, we'll do it next season. Cause like, um, you know, in the name of self nurturing, I have only one more show for this season and, and then I'm pausing for three months. Good for um, you. Yeah. Yeah. So I have to be with myself and be present with my children. So I would like, um, I, I love to sh to end my show asking what is the one golden word that comes to mind for the things that we share today? Hmm. For me, it's healing. Hmm. I, you sucked it right out of my brain. I was thinking that. Um, but love, I would say love because love comes in all different forms. Yeah. For me, it's healing on every level of yourself emotionally, spiritually, mentally, and financially. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. Coming whole again. Yeah. Self-discovery. That's, that's mm -hmm. what my journey looks like now. Yeah. Uh, thank you for that. So, <clears throat> and Linda says powerful and thank you. So for all of our viewers and listeners um, who were present while we were live and who will listen on the replay, share this with another heart, share this with another soul and um, live in your purpose, be your purpose and um, just give yourself an opportunity to, to love who you are in the moment of now, because that's all you've got is now. And um, I invite you to, to be free until next week. Thank you for joining the conversation. Now take the time to reflect, introspect, and implement at least one action. Be in your body, be in your soul, be in your spirit. You know? Be free. Until next week.